Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you can text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 and get the show notes, the live stream, everything you need to follow me around social media. Uh, delighted to have you with me here today. It is cold in my office. Just just saying that. I'm I think I have the heat turned off in the studio because otherwise it blows nonstop. But my goodness gracious, I need a jacket, which I don't have. That's all right. I got to begin with a random story. I I, I, I want to, I, I, up front, I, I want to say this up front. It's not a huge deal except how loudly it says something. The vice president and her husband, the second gentleman of the United States, they call him, uh, the first man, uh, first female vice president, so she has the first male second lady, becomes the second gentleman, and he's Jewish. Doug Imhoff is his name. He put up a tweet. Well, someone using his account, and that, that's kind of the point here. Follow along with me here. Put up a tweet. It's a picture of the vice president and her husband lighting a menorah. Let me read for you the tweet. The story of Hanukkah and the story of the Jewish people has always been one of hope and resilience. In the Hanukkah story, the Jewish people were forced into hiding. No one thought they would survive or that the few drops of oil they had would last but they survived and the oil kept burning. During those eight days in hiding, they recited their prayers and continued their traditions. That's why Hanukkah means dedication. It was during those dark days that the Maccabees dedicated themselves to maintaining hope and faith in the oil, each other, and their Judaism. In these dark times, I think of that story. It's a very nice tweet. But for those of you who don't know, That's like saying, today we commemorate Black Friday, the day Jesus Christ died for the right to get a flat screen TV at 50% off. There is nothing, nothing, (laughs) 
I they got the whole story wrong. It literally, you know, when my when my daughter was little, she really did confuse Good Friday and Black Friday. In her head, it made sense that Black Friday is the day Jesus died, and Good Friday is the day you can get a flat screen TV for cheap. Had to explain to her why we call the day Jesus died Good Friday. <laughs> I mean, that that's essentially what's going on here. The Hanukkah story is not the story of the Jewish people forced into hiding or no one thought they could survive with a few drops of oil. No, it's the story of the Jews rededicating the temple. They didn't rededicate themselves. They rededicated and reconsecrated the Jewish temple after uh, the, the, the king polluted everything. It's just, it, it's remarkable to me um, that this happened. So way back when Antiochus IV Epiphanes was the king after the, uh, he was the Seleucid king, Alexander the Great divided the empire into multiple parts. There were great wars between them. Uh, Antiochus IV becomes one of the kings of one of the territories and he decides uh, that he's going to end Judaism. He wants full assimilation into his kingdom. And so he bans circumcision, he bans Jewish ritual rites, practice of Jewish holidays, all of those things. The Jews refuse, Macca, um, the Maccabees rise up, uh, they retake the temple that had been used for pagan sacrifice, they rededicate it, they reconsecrate it, uh, and they've only got enough oil, uh, enough oil for one day, to light a menorah for one day, and it... The oil miraculously lasts for eight days. It takes eight days to refine the olive oil that they needed to continue uh, lighting the candle or lighting the, the flame. And the oil miraculously that should have only lasted for a day lasted for eight days. The story of Hanukkah is not the Jews in hiding, but the Jews coming out proudly in f favor of their heritage and refusing to hide, refusing to assimilate, refusing to give up their uniqueness as Jews. He gets the entire thing wrong. But let's be honest. The second gentleman of the United States, Doug Imhoff, uh, Kamala Harris's husband, he didn't tweet that. It, it came from his Twitter account, but let's be honest here. Doug Imhoff wasn't tweeting this. It was someone from the comms team tweeting. During those eight days in hiding, they recited their prayers and continued their traditions. That's why Hanukkah means dedication. It was during those dark nights that the Maccabees dedicated themselves to maintaining hope and faith in the oil each other and their Judaism, faith in the oil, faith in the oil. Someone actually wrote that. The issue here is not Doug Imhoff. And the issue here is not Kamala Harris. The issue here is the comms team. Kamala Harris goes through so many people. She's apparently a very difficult person to work for. And the entirety of the White House communication shop, they wound up deleting the tweet. I mean, you had people like me saying, I'm Presbyterian, but I'm pretty sure I know what Hanukkah is, and that's not it. The, the issue here is the comms team. Who's going to lose their job? Someone should actually lose their job for this. It's not malicious at all. It was deleted. They meant well. They had good intentions trying to 
highlight Hanukkah this time, but y'all, come on. You do not put out a tweet from the second gentleman's Twitter account and get the holiday wrong, particularly now at this time of crisis in the Middle East where people are worried about Israel. And by the way, uh, someone noted that Kamala Harrison in her uh, Twitter feed over the last number of years has never talked about celebrating Hanukkah herself, that others celebrate Hanukkah. Those of you who celebrate Hanukkah, et cetera, et cetera, suddenly they're celebrating Hanukkah. Good for them. Good for them celebrating Hanukkah. But they got the story wrong. Brian Fallon, who used to work for the Obama team, is going in to help. Brian Fallon was a top aide to Hillary Clinton as well. He stepped down as head of the group Demand Justice, is going to join the Biden campaign as Vice President Harris's communications director. According to the Washington Post, Fallon is known for a hard-hitting, nimble communication style. He joins a growing team of aides focused on supporting the vice president's political activity. Fallon is one of those people in 2020 was championing defunding the police. A progressive who championed defund the police. He ran demand justice, trying to elevate left-leaning judges. He wanted to expand the Supreme Court. He's been critical of the Biden team for not being more aggressive and shaking up the judiciary. He was press secretary for Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. He worked as an aide to Eric Holder. He worked for Chuck Schumer. He's been tied to the Democrats for a while. Uh, it's not Fallon's fault, but Fallon is a is a pretty aggressive progressive who supports defunding the police. He's now going on to the campaign team to help Kamala Harris's team. But there's a larger issue here, and it's that the White House continues to get the basics wrong. The White House continues to screw up the basics. Time and time again, the White House team should be firing all cylinders headed into a, what's going to be a tough campaign. You know, the Democrats are divided. They're pretty evenly split between those who think it's going to be a, a piece of cake next year and those who think Biden is going to have a very difficult time beating Trump. By the way, the people who think Biden is going to have a very difficult time beating Trump, they're right. The people who think it's a cakewalk are wrong because it is abundantly clear time and time and time and time and time again in this country that uh, when you tell people the choices between your wallet or your democracy, they're going to choose their wallet. And Joe Biden's uh, Trump's a threat to democracy stuff. People think he's a threat, too. People think Biden's a threat to democracy. I don't know if you all saw this in the CBS News poll. On the question of who's better for democracy, Biden wins by one point. That's within the margin of error. Roughly Trump and Biden are tied on that. They should be firing on all cylinders here, and they're not. They don't have an aggressive message on Ukraine. The president hasn't been out there selling the Ukraine issue. They don't have an aggressive message on the economy. They wedded themselves, tied themselves to Bidenomics when it was very clear the American people didn't like it. They first tried to lecture the American people that you actually have it good and you should be grateful. And when that didn't work, then suddenly they decided that they would walk it back. But the White House is still struggling to walk back Bidenomics as an issue. Y'all, I, I continue to be stunned at the level of incompetence of the team at the White House. These people are headed in to an aggressive campaign season. And by the way, it's going to be an aggressive and tough campaign season. Regardless of what happens with Trump and trials and convictions or lack thereof and all of the indictments, it's going to be a tough campaign. 
there is a growing number of people who believe that we really could be headed into a recession. It looks more and more like the Federal Reserve is going to signal tomorrow that they're not going to cut rates anytime soon. That could probably cause some sort of rollback in the stock market because the stock market's getting a little bit over-exuberant. You've got the situation in Israel. You've got the situation in Ukraine. You've got growing problems with China. You've got more problems with Iran. You've now got a Taliban attack in, the, in Pakistan. You've got Venezuela possibly uh, invading its next-door uh, neighboring country, Guyana. You've got the president asleep at the switch, the president stumbling around. You've got the White House press corps that shows up for a Christmas party at the White House, and the president stumbles, stammers, hymns and haws, and, and wavers in his speech and comes across as a guy who's kind of out to lunch and too old for the job. And in front of a press corps that wants to be persuaded that he's not too old for the job, they keep screwing up the basics in this White House. Corrine Jean-Pierre, every time she has a press conference, she winds up having to walk something back afterwards on Twitter. They're screwing up the basics at this White House. Headed into a campaign season, do they really even want to win? I mean, don't get me wrong. I would totally love for them to flub next year. And the signs are they're going to do it. Is anyone in the Democratic Party paying attention to what's going on in the White House? It is a fundamental key indicator of a problem when someone allows a tweet to go out on the second gentleman's Twitter account talking about Hanukkah that gets the basics of the holiday wrong. And it's a damning indictment on the whole operation that there was not a single person who knew the story of Hanukkah and could look at the tweet and say, hey, wait a second, that's not right. Don't hit send. It's just, they got the holiday wrong. It's like talking about how Christmas is a celebration of the time uh, St. Nicholas punched Arius at, at the, the Council of Nicaea, and, and we've been celebrating Christmas ever since. No, you got it wrong. They got it wrong. And that, again, don't think I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here because it in and of itself is a minor thing. But the major thing is that no one caught it. No one at the White House knew what Hanukkah was, apparently, to be able to say anything. They didn't stop the tweet. They had to delete it after it went out and everybody laughed about it. And this is a pattern in this White House. They get the fundamental basics wrong. You got Corrine Jean-Pierre regularly have to walk back stuff she says in her press conferences. You've got a, a president who can't articulate a strong case for Ukraine. You've got a, a White House comm shop that is in disarray, and they are too arrogant to even realize it. For those of us on the right, that's a pretty good sign when we head into next year, that these people aren't firing on all cylinders. It's not just the man at the top. His entire team seems to be off. Works for me. He's got the courage to tell you the actual truth, even when it isn't popular. It's the Eric Erickson Show. can be live on Eric's show by calling 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. When I was a kid, I, I mean, I've always been a political junkie and I would read the almanac of American politics. I, when I grew up and got involved in politics and red said, I always had a copy 
Uh, Michael Barone, the author, uh, the the genius who came up with it, is going to join me at the bottom of the hour to talk about his new book. Uh, he's always he's a great great writer, and I don't have a lot of authors on the program. Uh, I don't like to interview a ton of people on the program because I kind of take the rush view that it's I, y'all are having a conversation, we're having a conversation. And bringing a third party in to interview is bringing an interloper into the conversation you and I are having. And I feel like I, I you're, you put you suddenly in the in the seat of eavesdropper as opposed to you and me talking to each other. And I realize I can't hear back. You're yelling at me in the radio telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> but I, I don't like to, particularly with authors. Um, and But a, a, a friend of mine emailed and said, hey, do you want to get Michael on? And I was like, absolutely. He's one of the few people I will absolutely, if I can, get on the program because the, the man's a political genius, so I can pick his brain about all sorts of stuff. Uh, so I'm happy to have him come on here at the bottom of the hour. Um, before I get to any of that, though, you need to know there are rumors afoot that Chris Sununu is going to endorse Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm not surprised I'm not surprised at all. Um, so here's the dynamic. Trump is ahead everywhere, including in Iowa. Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, has endorsed Ron DeSantis, as has Bob Vanderplatz, and they're trying to turn out people for DeSantis in Iowa. And I, I still expect DeSantis to win. Keep in mind, Hillary Clinton uh, did very was doing very well in the polling right now in the Democratic primary. Uh, as was Rudy Giuliani. He was only just beginning his collapse, and things will change. I I still think DeSantis can pull that off. Haley could pull off a win in New Hampshire, uh, but Chris Christie's got to get out of the race. Most polls show that over 90% of Christie's support would go to Haley if he got out of the race. That would put Haley in a commanding position with the Sununu uh, endorsement, and that would give DeSantis a win and Haley a win and springboard them into South Carolina, which probably helps Haley more than, than DeSantis, but still... There's got to be a shakeup of Trump if anything happens. Um, but this could still play out in interesting ways. The DeSantis people, though, kind of, well, more than a little aggravated by it. But they got Kim Reynolds. She gets Sununu. We'll see how this plays out. You know what else is playing out is is the banks. Uh, you got the Silicon Valley Bank failure. You've got the Farmers Bank in Iowa failing. You've got other banks out there failing, uh, getting bailed out. Uh, they're going to keep racking up profits. The government may take them over. They'll keep them going. What about you? What about your money? Swiss America wants to teach you how to save your hard-earned assets. We'll find out what the Federal Reserve does tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Swiss America can help you. You need to get their shocking report, The Secret War on Cash. Your copy's free. You call or text 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading daily. So go read The Secret War on Cash. It's free to my listeners. You just mentioned Eric Erickson when you call or text 800-289-2646. That's Eric Erickson. You call or text my name to 800-289-2646 or go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 800-289-2646. Message and data rates may apply. Talk to Swiss America if you're interested in precious metal investing. Smart, fearless, and occasionally funny. 
You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I, well, I, I may fanboy a little bit here um, with my guests because don't have a lot of guests. Don't invite on a lot of authors. But my friend Mary reached out and said, interested in having Michael Brown on to talk about his new book. I'm interested to have Michael Brown on my show whenever Michael Brown wants to come on the program. Uh, I grew up a political nerd. The almanac of American politics was on my shelf, probably right next to my Bible, and that's not exaggerating. Um, it is just an amazing resource, and I have met Michael a number of times. And, uh, Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, I'm very well, Eric, and uh, thank you for the kind words. I, I have never claimed that my book belonged on the shelf right next to the Bible, but uh, I will take your encouragement as a as a as a thank you note. Well, it's, as a as a as a political nerd, it was just I mean it's it just I, I I've got multiple editions, and I can't bring myself to ever get rid of any of them. Um, they're just they're fun to flip through on occasion. But now, so you don't know this about me. And when I was a kid, I collected old maps. My grandmother had National Geographic's going back to the 1930s, and I collected every one of the maps. And now you've got your book, Mendel Maps of the Founders, out. Uh, you two love maps. And, I mean, this is like a, multiple connections together for a great book. Well, we all have mental maps in our minds, uh, if only to tell us uh, – you know, where we get to the grocery store or the mall and which left turn to take it, which green arrow is going to last the longest and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I've always been a map muff buff, Eric, and, uh, I, you know, I, I have a sort of political map of the United States in my mind. And I've also been reading, you know, for many years, as I suspect you have, the wonderful literature and histories that we've gotten about the founding fathers of America from academic historians, from non-academic historians, from people of wider background. Uh, these were extraordinary individuals. They did extraordinary things. Uh, and they, it's, you know, it's hard to learn too much about them. Uh, well, my friend, and I thought, well, I'd like to write something about the founding fathers. Uh, my friend, the great reporter and uh, Reagan biographer Lou Cannon once told me, he said, if you really want to learn about a subject, write a book about it. So I thought I would try to approach the founding fathers uh, from their mental maps, the ideas of geography they had in their heads, because operating in the 18th century, early 19th century, they didn't have accurate maps of North America. Uh, they had fairly good charts of the seaboard. Uh, beyond the Appalachian Mountains, uh, they had a sense there were parallel runs of mountains. Uh, they didn't know too much about what was going on beyond and with specificity. And what was their vision for the new country that they were trying to create in the revolution? What were going to be the limits of the geography of it? So I uh, set out to read that, and, and the result is this book, Mental Maps of the, of the Founders. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, they, the, their mental maps had consequences. You read about Alexander Hamilton. At one point, he writes, if you look at the United States, on the left, you have New England. And on the right, you have the uh, southern colonies or states of South Carolina and Georgia. Well, what 
does that left and right mean there? It basically means he's looking outward to the Atlantic Ocean, to the sea lanes, to the trade that was tying America to the developed world and who's generating uh, more uh, wealth and riches and good living for the people in North America. For Thomas Jefferson, his one book that he wrote, Notes on Virginia, written in the 1780s, he looks way west. He looks beyond the Mississippi River, which was then the boundary of the U.S. under the Treaty of 1783. He talks about uh, the Rocky Mountains. He talks about how many miles it is from Santa Fe to uh, Mexico City. He does not have on the map that he uses map of New England and the sea and the most of the American seacoast. He's looking west to the interior, and that was that. Those different mental maps help to explain why uh, Hamilton and Jefferson, as a mem- as members of of George Washington's first cabinet, had profoundly different ideas about um, public policy and about foreign policy. That's I'm I'm fascinated by that, and you know while you're sitting here talking to me, I'm thinking about the the Northwest Ordinance, um, which was done. I mean, 1787 or so, I think. And so you got these guys. 1787. Yeah, and and so they don't have these good geographic maps of where the land goes and and what's beyond the Appalachians, and yet they're already uh, charting this expansion of the country and and what will take shape over time. It, it really is, I, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that history to begin with. Um, but Well, there's some fascinating history in that. There, the, the Confederation Congress operating in the Articles Confederation passes the Northwest Ordinance after several years of deliberation, even while the Constitutional Convention is meeting in Philadelphia. So in New York, you get the, you get the ordinance, and it's based in many ways on the geography that uh, George Washington had opened up uh, to people in his career before the Revolutionary War when he started off as a surveyor for Lord Fairfax in Northern Virginia at age 16, uh, when he's sent out because of his experience on the frontier to the forks of the Ohio, uh, where the uh, Allegheny-Monongahela River formed the Ohio River, what now is Pittsburgh, to warn the French away. That military experience in turn makes him the choice nominated by John Adams, uh, approved unanimously by the Continental Congress to command the army. So that Northwest Territory was something that Washington in particular had his eye on. And in the course of that deliberation, among other things, before the final bill was passed, you get the idea of the mile square uh, dividing that territory into square miles with townships created by six miles east and west, six miles north and south. That was an idea that Thomas Jefferson gave us. And if you fly across America on uh, a cloudless day, you can look down and see all those squares going on from western Pennsylvania, the beginning of the old Northwest Territory, all the way to Orange County, California. That's fantastic. So what did you, is there something you went into really not knowing and and just kind of came out of it um, with like a, a knowledge about something that just impressed you? Well, two things kind of emerged out of this uh, for me, the, the, the themes that come through in each of the six of the founding fathers that I 
that I wrote essays about in this book, Metal Maps. Um, number one is that they were you know, very much aware of the cultural and religious diversity of the new nation that they were in the process of creating. Uh, you know, you hear it today, well, we were diverse country for the first time and never were had this diversity situation before. On the contrary, you'd had, you know, in a, in a period where men's memories went back to the religious wars of the previous century, you had the New England colonies founded by Calvinist Protestants, Virginia by Anglicans, uh, Maryland by Catholics, uh, Pennsylvania by Quakers, New York by Dutch reformers. Uh, they had an awareness that they were dealing with different kinds of people, and that's one of the reasons that they set up a federal government where the central government doesn't do anything. One of the reasons why James Madison uh, in the first Congress is writing the First Amendment and says Congress shall make no law regarding an establishment of religion. They allowed states to continue to establish religions or to abolish the established religion as Virginia did under Madison's urging. Uh, and because they realized that you couldn't do a uniform national religion, you had to have leave people free to themselves uh, and so forth. The other thing I got out of this is that attitudes about slavery changed as a result of the American Revolution. Men like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson grew up assuming that slavery was a fact of life. So did Benjamin Franklin, who grew up in Massachusetts and spent his early, uh, and then moved to being as an adult to Pennsylvania. Um, and they owned slaves briefly. And they turn against it. The principles of the revolution start speaking to them. Some of the critics of the revolution in England say, you know, this, these we hear the cries of liberty from the whelps of slave owners of slaves. Uh, we Washington frees his slaves in his will, and in that, I think, as in all of his political activities, I think he was aware that he was setting. He wanted to set a precedent for the new nation, as just as he set a precedent by peacefully uh, resigning positions of potentially great power as commander-in-chief in 1783, and then as president of the United States in 1797, when he walks out of that room as a private citizen, goes back to his farm. So he, I think, wanted to set a precedent by freeing his slaves uh, and uh, setting a different course uh, for America from what it was on. And you had uh, measures uh, promoting uh, the, the gradual abolition of slavery passed in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island by legislatures, by courts in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, um, and by the, the state of New York in 1799 under Governor John Jay. Uh, New Jersey limps in a little later, as it often does, uh, and, uh, and so forth. But that was a movement that, uh, you know, we, I think American kids are often taught today that the United States was the only place that had slavery. They invented it. They perpetuated it. There is a contrary tradition. The facts tell you a different story about the American Revolution, about the founding fathers. Funny how that works. I, I, I cite often uh, Bernard Balin's ideological origins of the American Revolution, where he deals with those 
those shifts at the end. Um, it, it, people just totally forget them. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Michael Barone, his new book out, Middle Maps of the Founders. If you want to order it, you can text the word ENGAGE to 33777. Uh, it, Michael, I don't have a lot of time left, but I did want to ask you one more question. You know, you, you always – I have found doing book interviews and, and author interviews that – you tend, tend to leave an interview and there's something you wanted to point out that you never got asked a question about. So is there is there something I didn't ask that you want people to know? Well, it, it, it's something you didn't ask that I want people to know. I think one of the things that, uh, that struck me in reading this is the role of contingency, of events that uh, didn't seem so important at the time, but that had tremendous uh, results in the future. I mentioned George Washington's early career. Uh, he was uh, on property owned by this Lord Fairfax, the only British lord who lived in North America, who owned everything from the Rappahannock to the Potomac, from Chesapeake Bay to the uh, sources of the river in the Appalachian Mountains. George Washington's brother Lawrence was uh, a tenant of Lord and 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 and, a, and married into the Fairfax family, uh, and George Washington came to his advantage. Uh, to his within his sight, and then you know, 16 he starts surveying for Lord Fairfax. At 18 he buys his first land in the Shenandoah Valley. He's not from a tremendously rich family. He's uh, the second, you know, son of a second marriage and so forth. But he these contingencies that make him the military leader against the French at age 21. In 22, he is sent out there, what turns out to be a, um, the beginning of a world war between Britain and France. And then that military experience makes this man commander-in-chief, a man who is ready to renounce power, who is interested in, in determined to set precedence and to uh, obey civil authority, the military obeying the civil authority, contrary to so much in history uh, in the past and in the contemporary times of the 18th and 19th century. Uh, we get George Washington, and I think uh, we ought to realize that we're we're kind of lucky. And sometimes George Washington in his speeches says things uh, along the order. Uh, he doesn't use conventional religious terms, but he talks about Maybe divine providence is looking after us. Maybe uh, somebody up there is doing so. Uh, I don't take that religious point of view myself, but I could. I, I see that uh, the temptation to do so. That um, you know, sometimes if when you take pride in American institutions, people say, "Well, you're being boastful and proud of yourself." No, we're not. We're the lucky beneficiaries of a lot of either very happy accidents or perhaps divine intervention uh, that produced a person like George Washington to lead this country into independence and to provide an example of how somebody can be vigorous as an executive and as a, as a member of government and at the same time can always observe the rule of law and limits on his own power. How lucky we are and what, how much of a responsibility we have to live up to this lucky heritage. Amen to that. Michael, I've got to leave it there, but thank you so much for stopping by. Well, thank you, Eric. I admire your work and uh, your level head and wise thoughts. So thank you very much for having me on this Oh, program. thank you so much. Michael Barone, uh, author of the 
Almanac of American Politics and Mental Maps of the Founders. You can text ENGAGE to 33777, and you can order his book. Now, uh, before I get out of here, i got to tell you, uh, if you're standing in line at the post office, <laughs> I had to do this the other day. I bragged to you about not having to stand in line, but I actually had to go to the post office the other day. Had no choice, and my gosh, the line took forever. I'm so glad when I'm shipping packages. I had to go turn in a key to the post office for a post office box. Uh, there was no way to get around it, but for shipping packages, I can avoid it with Stamps.com, and you can too. Not only that, you can get 84% off uh, UPS and post office shipping rates and find the fastest and the cheapest options. All you need is a computer and a printer. You can print your labels and send them via Stamps.com. You can even arrange pickup at your office or home for the packages. So you bypass the lines this holiday season while everybody's coughing. Oh, my gosh, coughing the other day in the line. Do it what I do what I did for shipping packages, stamps.com. I've used them for 20 years. You don't have to go stand in line. They come to you. you right now, you go to stamps.com. You click the microphone. You put in my name, Eric. You get a limited time offer with free postage, a free digital scale, no long-term commitments, no contract to sign. It's stamps.com. You click on the microphone. You put in my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, bypass the lines, get the best rates, get shipping today with stamps.com. He'll do the research and give it to you straight. Eric Erickson is live every weekday. Want Eric's weekly recipes? They're super delicious. Text recipe to 33777 now. And you can call in and be a part of the program, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. You know, I mentioned this a little bit yesterday. I've got to give a, a, a nerdy talk tonight on polling, and Democrats are very fretful about current polling showing Trump just dominating uh, Joe Biden. Interestingly, the same poll show Nikki Haley does better than any Republican against Biden. Now, the Haley critics don't believe it, uh, but if you're believing Trump's ahead uh, by X and Haley's by Y, why believe one and not the other? What's notable about the polling, however, and this is where the Democrats are kind of, when they curl up in the fetal position and suck their thumb, worried about it, it's the polling shows if Trump is convicted in any one of these cases, he suddenly plunges in popularity. And that's a problem. That's why Jack Smith is rushing so hard. Now, I want you to rush to OmahaSteaks.com today and put in an order there. You get $30 off uh, your order by putting Eric in as your promo code at checkout. Unbelievable deals at OmahaSteaks, 50% off site-wide. You load up your cart. You go to checkout. In the promo code box, you put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You get an extra $30 off, minimum order required. You get deliciousness delivered to your door with 100% satisfaction guarantee, which is so good this holiday season. If your order gets messed up in some way, if it gets shipped to the wrong house, uh, if it's outside too long and, and it, it you, you forgot it was outside, you call Omaha Steaks, they take care. Real-world scenarios. I, I, I've had this happen where I showed up at our old house and someone had sent me Omaha Steaks and it had been there for days, um, was not in, in good condition. And I called them. as like, I got this package. Here's the address. They sent me a brand new one. They wanted me happy. They took care of it. They didn't charge the person who sent it to the wrong address. Uh, They're just good people with great, great products. They've been around for over 100 years because of their customer service. OmahaSteaks.com. 
Load up your cart at checkout. Use Eric as your promo code. Get $30 extra off at omahasteaks.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.